working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, I'm Zach Albetta, and welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. This week I'm bringing you a conversation with Robert Boone, who is currently occupying what I think is safe to say one of the most coveted and venerated drum chairs in music history with the Count Basie Orchestra. Robert makes his home in Atlanta, is on the road with Basie about half the year, and has various side projects the rest of the time, including an instrumental trio with his brother, Tedeschi Trucks Band bassist Brandon Boone. Our most recent Patreon installment is a snare tuning tutorial video by John Hull from Drum Paradise Nashville. To access this and other bonus content we're adding monthly, go to patreon.com slash working drummer and become a patron. Really, any amount is appreciated. If you are able to help us out with even a dollar a month, that'll go towards covering the expenses of bringing you this podcast every week, and you'll get bonus educational content from former guests every month. We always encourage you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes or whatever platform you get us on. And here's one we got recently. Jeff Ziegler writes, I play drums in my basement for my own entertainment, so I'm not trying to develop a professional career, but I find Working Drummer to be an entertaining, informative, and funny look at the music industry. It's cool to learn about the work and life of professional drummers and get insights into some of my favorite artists. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for that. We've always geared the podcast towards pros and aspiring pros, but we are, of course, happy to have the ears of those who are just into drumming for the pure enjoyment of it, and uh, glad to hear we're providing some entertainment and inspiration for you all as well. So now let's hear about all things Basie and a lot more with Robert Boone. So how long are you home? When are you going back out? What's what's your what's your itinerary with this band? I'm I'm here until well we start back up in August August second, uh-huh. and where we go we're going to California for a couple of days, uh, then we go to Europe for two and a half weeks, uh-huh. then New York for a week, come back here for a week, and then we're in Japan after that for two weeks. Wow. Yeah. So the international stuff is coming up basically the latter half of this year. And does that always go in cycles? Like, is that always the latter half of the year? Or Not is really. It? Okay. Um, the Japan trip is usually in the fall, like around September. Okay. But uh, everything else is just kind of um, whenever. Yeah. You know. Where do you play in Japan? Like The Blue, Blue Notes. Blue Note, right. N- uh, Nagoya and Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. Both great rooms. Cool. Get to use those canopus drums over there. That's, <laughs> That's, that's right. always fun, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like my favorite part, of um, course. And in this in the states, like I'd imagine, there's there's a bunch of theater shows, there's mm-hmm. festivals, there's so I mean this band is playing like everything from the clubs to the the big festivals, right? Yeah, so we we do small clubs and cram inside of you know like like Nighttown up in uh, Cleveland. I don't know if you've been up there. I haven't. Yeah, it's like it's a really small club, but we somehow fit in there, and uh, you know, and then we'll go play like a big concert hall the next night and have too much room right, you know what I mean right yeah because we, we feel like we play better once we're really close to each other it just, yeah. it just forces you to listen differently totally so when then you go on a big stage and everyone's spread out and the you know the last trumpet player is like a mile away from you yeah it's hard to hear I feel like up. that's true for any size band mm-hmm. or any style of band but for Definitely. for big band like I mean it can get really unruly yeah fast and like you were talking about if you're in a tiny little space and you're crammed together right man like everybody's just <laughs> you have to. I mean, yeah. If you don't, 
you know, you just end up overplaying. It's right. super easy to overplay a small room, as right. you, know, you know. Yeah, yeah. Every drummer's found that out the hard way. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I still find that out. Right. <laughs> um, for, for me, actually, for a while, it was it was the opposite. Because, like, I, I had to find the... Be, like, because my background was all in jazz, mm-hmm. I had to find, like, the muscle and the balls yeah. at a certain point to just, like, play rock music in a club right and you know like jam it <laughs> jam it up people's you know yeah um studying jazz you pretty much learn the opposite you learn you're learning how to play with like really delicate touch mostly right and trying to play really soft with a lot of intensity right and then you go to other styles and it's like okay that's nice but we need this <laughs> and it's, it's interesting about jazz because like everybody thinks of it as like this really soft like quiet nuanced mm-hmm. thing but like you watch old videos of like blakey Oh yeah, or Elvin Jones. I mean, not that you can do that at your steakhouse gig, right? But I mean, there's there's plenty of jazz drumming that is just completely over yeah, the top. Definitely, um, definitely. And in big band too, I would imagine you get to kind of run that that whole spectrum in the bassy band. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a big emphasis on the on the quieter moments. I'm, yeah, uh, definitely. But, but when it you know during the shout choruses of every tune, it needs to pick up, of course. Yeah. yeah. So that's like your your you know 15, 15 seconds of fame right there. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's all you thing. get in, in the big band. Like unless you're Buddy Rich or or yeah. You know, uh, that I, I I really liked playing big band music, and I still do it once in a while. But like mm-hmm. when it came to jazz, I mean there was a. There was a time in my career, like basically in my twenties, when I was just doing nothing but jazz. Yeah. And and big band was always my favorite. Like it's big band was kind of my gateway into jazz. Definitely. And um, and I think it it has the most in common with like with rock drumming, hmm. not just in terms of volume, but in terms of just the role of the drummer. Right. Like you're just you're timekeeping. You're you know hurting the sheep and all that. Sure. And once in a while you get a little moment. Um, but it's I I really found a lot of similarities between like the role of a drummer in the big band and the role of a drummer in a rock band or mm. a country band or, or yeah any of that. Have you found that? I have. That's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I just think about it as kind of you know you you use all the skills that you have basically across many genres and and it kind of creates like your own voice. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And as you start to play more styles, you you realize the similarities, like you were saying, between the the big band thing and the rock rock drumming, as far as roles go. Or, um, I mean, there's a host of other things where you'll you'll be playing something and you're like, oh, that's actually that reminds me of something I heard on like this Elvin Jones record from right. like you know whenever. Yeah. Um, so you can so you kind of just draw from a bunch of different places to to kind of come up with your own thing. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. that's kind of how I look at it. How long have you been doing this gig? Uh, so in oof, in January it'll be three years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So right now two and a half or so. Okay. See, yeah. This this is why like you and I have barely crossed paths mm-hmm. since I've been here because I, I moved here three and a half years ago. There we go. And like right after that you were out. Yeah. Um, and even then I I had just moved back from Tallahassee so oh I wasn't. Um, did you go to school there? Mm-hmm. I did my master's down at FSU. Right, on. and that's yeah. that's where like Rick, Rick, uh, Rick, Rick Lawler, and mm-hmm. Jameson, and that mm-hmm. that whole crew. Yeah, Kevin Smith, Nick Rosen. The oh list, man, the list goes on, man. Dude, horses. Yeah, especially <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, some of those guys have moved on to yeah other things. They're not in Atlanta anymore, but uh, well, I mean, yeah. there Jameson never lived here, but like Rick Smith, still lives here, and Smith is out there. Yeah, Smith yeah. is in. Rick New still. York. I'd, I'd like never see Rick. So. Rick's still around, but he's he's out as much as anybody. Right, because like, he's out with Jameson. Right, he's out yeah. with Jameson a mm-hmm. lot, and he's out. He's about to be out with uh, Jimmy Herring. 
Right, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to go see some of that. Yeah, you know, that, sh- that should be really cool. But um, um, interesting enough, Jameson is on our next Basie gig. Is he really? Yeah, and I'm and I'm really not sure how it's going to go because I don't I don't have any like I don't know what's going to happen because so, I, I think he's just singing. Though, he's just singing. I think, but I would be happy to like have him play. You got to get two watch. drum sets up there, man. Yeah, you... that would be cool too. <laughs> <laughs> man. So yeah, it's 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 Jameson and there's a there's a few other vocalists on the gig as well that I'm not sure of, but yeah. it's going to be fun. Is that the one in California? Yeah, it's a Concord Jazz Festival. Oh, cool. Coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you've been doing this gig almost three years. Mm-hmm. Um, is how, how did how did this happen? Because like in my mind, it seems a little bit random. Like you went to school in Florida, you live in Atlanta, sure. and 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 here comes the Basie gig, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, at FSU, actually, uh, Scotty Barnhart teaches trumpet. Scotty is the leader of the Basie band. There's so, a connection. Yeah, there. exactly. <laughs> so it. we we did a a, a Basie tribute concert. And then he came and worked with us. Um, so he got to hear me play maybe like eight of, eight of the tunes or so, some of the repertoire. Mm-hmm. And then um, about a year later, he called me to audition for the band mm-hmm. uh, because the current drummer had to, he got something else he had to go do, so we right. left the band. And um, yeah, so my audition was like a week in New York with uh, with the band and also Dee Dee Bridgewater. So, wow. so like the week I was there, I was trying to learn, you know, the Basie book, but also read Dee's tunes too right. yeah which oh, which were man. like not even I, they were just like you know they're not typically the bassy style it was more of her thing which right. is cool but um it was just a lot for that first week to kind of deal with both ends of the spectrum you know yeah. um, and it went fine and everything went great and then so that was the first part then the second part of the audition was like uh two weeks in japan right after that uh-huh. but that was just the bassy uh band so i got to really learn the book then we spent two weeks playing you know Every, I mean, almost everything out of this 500-ish tune book. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> he get, and he sent me a CD with maybe like 30 of the songs that they play pretty uh-huh. much um, regularly. Yeah. But everything else was kind of, you know, sit down and try it out. Yeah. Take your lumps and then yeah, yeah. take out a pencil, write down your mistakes and things. So at the time that you're doing this kind of audition or, or trial period, mm-hmm. Were were you one of a few that they were trying out, or no? It was just me. Wow. Yeah. That's really and, cool. and the, it was it was it was an audition, but I was technically on the gig for a month. Right. And I was thinking, like, yeah. it, it, with a situation like that, with somebody you know, somebody who's heard you play, and right. and somebody who leads the band, they make the decision mm-hmm. where they're like, okay, this guy is is not going to shit the bed. Right. Like we can we can take him on the road. We can throw some shit at him. Yeah. And and whatever happens, the performance is going to be fine. Let's see if he melds with the band personally, yeah. and if he fits into the culture here. And, and can he show up for a call time? Right, you know, and like have everything together, ready for the show. Because those are little things that people don't think about. Yeah, everyone's always like, "Yeah, playing on stage is fun," but that's like five percent of what you're doing on the road. You know, because right. most of it's you're, you're traveling or having to be here or be there. But yeah. you, you know, when you actually get to play, it's great because you that's what you I you know visualize in your brain when you go out on the road. You just want to play. Yeah. But the rest of the stuff you have to deal with is sometimes taxing. Yeah. yeah. I'm kind of surprised that there wasn't like an open, you know, audition kind of yeah. you know, have people submit videos and like a long, arduous process for that. It mm-hmm. was just one guy made the decision, let's, let's try Brandon out. Yeah. <laughs> let's kick his ass for a month. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. 
Um, but it's it's been great. So ever since then, I've just been in the band. Uh, everything's been good. I said Brandon. Your yeah. brother is Brandon. Oh, oh man. You're Robert. <laughs> you, God, you guys look alike. And yeah. I actually know Robert better. I know Brandon better than you. Yeah, so, sure. You guys have played together a bunch, right? Yeah, or not not a whole lot, but, but yeah. some. Yeah. Cool. I'm sorry, I mixed up your names. Jesus. <laughs> it happens all the time. I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure. Um, so, t- like talking about the repertoire, mm-hmm. how often, if ever, does does new repertoire get added to the Count Basie Orchestra book? Actually, uh, more than you would think. Really? Maybe maybe every. Every, every actually every tour we go on, uh, Scotty will send out a couple tunes right before. Um, and by new, I mean just things that haven't been in the book and the, for the band. Uh-huh. Um, so there'll there'll be things like kind of like deeper cuts on albums, or um, there's actually a guy in Florida that uh, Scotty just got in contact with, and he had like uh, maybe tens of thousands of of old Basie charts in his Whoa. basement. Right. So Scotty's like in the process of trying to get that from him because he's just gonna like give it to him basically wow so yeah you know random things like that where they're like really crazy fans uh, like not crazy as in like dumb just, or anything just but just like dedicated yeah dedicated yeah <laughs> and they've, they've been holding on to this stuff for so long and then they you know, try to get get in contact with the band to give them copies and everything like that yeah. so we'll do a couple new tunes um almost every single run hmm. um and you know if we, if we like it it stays in the book if if it you know, right. if it's not what we really want to do, we put it back. Right, right. You know, but it all adds up to a, a pretty big book. You know, yeah, really big book. Yeah, of yeah. a lot of tunes. So, and is is it still an actual book? You guys yeah. haven't gone iPad yet. No, <laughs> I, and I, I prefer the paper, man. I just for the big iPad, band, I'm just yeah. like I've had. I mean, we've all had technology like crap out on us at the, sure. at the very worst possible moment. You yeah, know? and yeah. when you're trying to read a new chart, that's the wrong time for something to go wrong. Right. So. Definitely. Yeah, and it's easier to, you know, write write on things or, yep. I don't know, just kind of an old school approach. And especially for big band, like, you get those five, six-page charts. Yeah. You know, you get your two stands. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> exactly. right there, and it's just all. Lay it out. <laughs> and then also, there's, some of these charts have been around from, like, the 30s and 40s. So you, you've got handwriting on them, and it's like, I wonder who wrote this. Right. You know, which, what drummer or whatever. Because, and also, some of those drummers, most of those drummers weren't even using music. Right. So... Uh, you know, you you kind of see some notes when as, it's kind of like as watching people learn it, mm-hmm. and then you know they put it away. They don't really need the book anymore. Right. So, right. Yeah. Are you still? Do you still need the book, or are you kind of? I'm pretty much out of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, on the newer stuff, I you know you have to obviously, look at it. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But for the most part, I I don't really need anything. Mm-hmm. I, I might have a few things up just for references, but yeah. uh, for the most part, I try to be away from it. Yeah, yeah. You know, as much as possible. Definitely. When I was in yeah. grad school. Um, the the director of the jazz program at University of Missouri Kansas City is Bobby Watson. Oh wow! He's, yeah, he's Art Blakey's saxophonist yeah. and oh, did yeah, the whole horizon. Yeah, you know Bobby mm-hmm. Watson. Yeah. Um, and he he busted me kind of hard one day about how much I was reading because we oh, were like wow. halfway through the semester. Yeah. And you know I I just had my head in the charts mm-hmm. for weeks. That's the, and yeah. he was like, man, get out of there. Right, like get this shit memorized. Start looking around the room. Definitely, because um, it's like you're you're gonna sound better, you're gonna feel better, you're gonna have more fun. Yep. Um, if, if it makes not, a big difference, right? yeah, it really does. Yeah. And I thought for for like the you know the rebellious young part of me thought that he was just kind of busting me and teaching me a lesson. Like, yeah. You should learn stuff. You should memorize stuff. You should whatever. But it 
you know, a, a week later, I was out of some of those charts, and it was like I noticed a huge difference. Yep. I was like, oh wow, I'm actually playing this this music right. now. Right, instead of just kind of just reading it, right, and and like hanging on for dear life, right, (laughs) yeah. Because even if you do that and you're reading it correctly, it's you're you're still not really playing the music yet, right? You're interacting with the paper, right, not with the band (laughs) in the room, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, getting off the page was a big thing. Um, Actually, when I was at, uh, I I did this Disney college band thing. I was going to ask you because I know Brandon did that, and I wondered if you did it too. I did it the year before Brandon. Okay, what year was that? Uh, 2015. Uh okay wait let me see I was I was a staff musician at Disneyland in 2015 really yeah I played in the Five and Dime band in California Adventure oh um, we never we never performed on that side right We're, we did our jazz set over there yeah I um, saw you I saw you once in a while over there not you specifically but right like the just band. the band yeah yeah I was I was at Disneyland from 2012 mm-hmm. to to 2016 until I moved here wow. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So we. <laughs> I wish I wish I'd known then. You know, uh, the, it was you know you're you're fine missing that show. <laughs> um, but that uh, that gig was where I kind of learned that whole you know you don't need the chart because our director uh, Ron McCurdy sometimes he would just come back there and just like take the chart <laughs> right. in the middle of the song and it's like yeah. oh man okay but he's right though I mean you've played this song like four times already it's it's not changing anymore after right. that. Uh, you don't really need to look at it anymore. Mm-hmm. I just use your ears and kind of go from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you were you in college at the time that you did that Disney thing? It's a summer program for it college is. students, right. right? But it's it's you can be an undergrad or or a graduate degree. Got it. So I was in my master's. De- uh, well, I was at FSU when yeah. I did it. Yeah, and uh, we actually had like four or five people from FSU that year. So it was that's a crazy. Pretty heavy year, but it was cool. And um, you and Brandon did it the same year? No, Brandon did it the next year. Oh, the, okay. Right. That's, you can only do it one year, basically. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Unless you go back as a TA, which, but I I had some other stuff I had to do at FSU, so yeah. I didn't want to do it. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so that program is like, there's there's some big band, there's some rock stuff, there's some kind of in the park, mm-hmm. marching, dancing marching. around yep. kind of shit. Yep. Um, what, what were the takeaways from that gig, like musically and professionally? Okay. Uh, I'll start with professionally. Professionally, it was just like, you know, no matter what, what's going on or what you're doing or how, how bad your day was, how bad your morning was, anything like that. Uh, basically, nobody cares. They, they paid <laughs> they paid like, you know, 120 bucks to be there for one day. And it's like 100 degrees. And yeah. they don't really care that you have a headache. So they just right. want, you know, you just have to be ready to perform every time, you know, every single time. Really, yeah. Can't take any days off. That's like the the biggest thing they push out there because they're all about the show and everything. So um, that was like the number one thing. But I mean, you know, you, they, we actually had a lot of like master classes with people from um, like uh, just people out, out in LA, like the, uh, like the Gordon Goodwin. Yeah. uh, His, some of the people from his band came through Mm -hmm. um, and just general like music business. um, I don't know, I guess uh, A&Rs and, uh, people who are like working with labels and things like that to kind of give us that side of things because uh-huh. we always think about uh, like playing as being it basically, but there's like the business side of it too. Yeah. We have to learn, you know, how to how to you know not get screwed on your recordings when you're when you're putting stuff out there and right. how to make sure it's copywritten and all that kind of stuff. So um, it was just like a good general workshop. Mm-hmm. You know, the first the first few weeks there, you do, you have to learn 
all the marching and everything. So it's kind right. of a drag. Ugh. You're you know you're doing long days, uh, just learning everything. But mm-hmm. once you start the shows, it pretty much just runs for the rest of the summer. Yeah. And um, so then they start the next phase where they start bringing in guests and everything. And in the morning, you'll have an, you'll have a guest like uh, like John Clayton came through. Yeah. And he talked to us about a lot of things, and then we perform with him, and then do our regular marching stuff after that. Uh-huh. So it's a pretty neat um, program. I I loved it. Yeah. yeah. And then just musically. It's uh, it was really inspiring to be around that many people that are like really good, right? You know, and because it, it's like a different thing when you don't want to be the weakest link in the group. Yep. And you know, not to say like me or anyone else was in danger of that, right? But that fear kind of helps you just stay on top of things a little bit more. For sure, yeah. I, I had the same experience when I did drum corps. Right. Um, exactly. Because like in, you know, in my high school and uh, in uh, I did one year of, of marching band in college, but in both those environments, it was just like football. Yeah. Everybody's kind of like we do the show, and some people are really great, and some people don't give a shit and whatever. And when I showed up to Blue Nights, yeah, in Denver, I was like, holy shit! Every, <laughs> everybody is here to do this to play for yeah. real. Right. Nobody is fucking around mm-hmm. one bit. Um, and it was like it was intimidating and inspiring, and, and right. also I kind of got a feeling that's like finally there's like 120 other people like me, who, <laughs> right? Because at my high school, like I wanted my high school to be the fucking Blue Knights, right? You know, and it but it's it, just not gonna happen. It, never, yeah, ever. And when I look back on it, it was it was so far from even like a C core, <laughs> <laughs> and I was yeah. taking it super seriously. Mm-hmm. And, um, he, and, he, and as serious as we were, we still had a great time, and those are. Like, you know, 15, 20 of my best friends right there, yeah. all the people in the band. I still have to keep up with them today. Yeah. So um, it's just, it, from that perspective, it was just a great networking opportunity and getting to play and hang out with some amazing musicians for a whole summer and yeah. get paid to live in L.A., basically. So. Prior to... Um getting the gig with the Basie band like mm-hmm. what was what was your relationship with that music and with that like was was a gig like that on your radar at mm. all um it kind of was well when I met Scotty and he was telling me he's the director I was I really just wanted to go and hear the band and yeah. just kind of check him out because I hadn't I mean obviously I hadn't in person right um but you know, even prior to that, my real connection is just, you know, I studied a bunch of it in school. Right. Um, and, you you know, we all played, like, Wind Machine and stuff like that yeah. in high school. Yeah, yeah, Um Or maybe even college, too. Yeah. And, and then you learn how to actually play it when you start studying with someone, you know. Right. Because there's, there's my, like, my high school, school where you just, band, like... My high school jazz band was not playing Wind Machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to a, a, a fine arts high school. So That's we, cool. we had a little bit of an advantage. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just learning the music, you know, as in high school and college and things like that, and uh, and then we just play it in in at a FSU as well, and you know other local like big band things. Pretty much, if you do like almost any type of big band gig, it's probably going to be some bassy on. Yeah, for sure. So you're you're constantly kind of surrounded by the music, so which was cool. So when I actually got on the band, I I knew. Uh, well, it was a gift and a curse. A gift as in, like, I knew the tunes, which were great. Mm-hmm. But also, um, some of the tunes you have, I had to relearn, you know? You have to, because they're, they're written one way and, like, interpreted another. Yeah. And, so you, and, and, and also, depending on which era of the band you listen to, there might be, you know, one band might play this figure straighter or lay yeah. it back even more. 
there's just different eras. So you just have to learn, um, you know, the differences between, you know, the styles of how to play the same tune, mm-hmm. essentially. And then learning how the current band plays it because they, right. might, they might have taken their own spin on it, too. So really, the first week was all, for me, just about that. Like, yeah, I know you've been listening to the same recording of Wind Machine forever, but this part is actually goes like this right. now. You right, know? right. It doesn't really matter what the recording did. It's about what the band's doing right now, you know. Who's who's your favorite uh, bassy drummer? Hmm. Sonny Payne. Really? Yeah. Cool. I mean, there's, yeah. That's the guy I've studied the most, you know. Really? Yeah, for sure. And he was, was he the 50s? I was like before Harold Jones, mm. after Papa Joe? After, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because Papa Joe was like the first. Right, basically. right, 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 right. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to think, think of the era that he was in. Sounds pretty accurate. Yeah. I'm not sure uh, on the exact years. Right. So, okay, so what about, what about Sonny Payne, like, is, is your shit? Just the uh, like, man, the 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 touch and the taste huh. between like the fills and everything. Yeah, um, it's a lot of a lot of big band drummers uh, when they're doing their setups and things. It's it's only triplets or it's only uh, like playing just like a big snare hit, the hit right before. Yeah, but he was very creative in the ways he would he would set up and kind of phrase figures with the band and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's got a bunch of really cool videos where he's got a he's plays with a splash symbol and that splash sometimes is really helpful on those really short, crisp, um, like really staccato notes I guess that the whole band is playing. It just right. like really is that's that's one of the things I took from him. Not I mean it's definitely not the only, but just kind of watching him and stealing all his ideas of how mm-hmm. to set things up and phrasing and like you know playing extremely fast tempos, but making it comfortable enough for the whole band to be able to play over it yeah that's that's like the tough the really toughest part mm-hmm. or, or the most tough part about playing that gig is some of the you know some of the tunes get up there yeah but you still got to provide like a solid rhythmic foundation for everyone mm-hmm. or else the tune's gonna you know tank right probably right <laughs> so yeah um it's a it's a big challenge but you know you just listen to people do it and just figure out ways to to uh to create that energy and intensity but not necessarily be over like like overplay the band yeah you know figuring out cool setups uh was is one of my favorite things about mm-hmm. about big band drumming yeah um and uh, you know it, like any other fill type thing it can go overboard right but finding that balance between like i'm, I'm gonna do more than just that single snare hit but i'm not gonna take up the whole bar right you know or or like mini bars leading up to it right (laughs) like there's a big hit on the end of four but you know you cast doing rolls like four measures before it and things and because then you're just like basically you're not really serving the music you're just kind of doing that because it's a fill and it sound cool right but and you know there's a time and place for all that but it's not every tune and every single figure that needs to go by yeah where you have to play a big long extended intro you know before you get there or whatever so right um, and it, it was another similarity between big band and, and rock drumming that I kind of noticed was in like they, they both give you these opportunities to play the same figure or a similar figure in a different way. Mm-hmm. Like figuring out like if you're playing a rock tune and, you know, going into every chorus, you have a certain you have like beats three and four to fill right. up. Mm-hmm. And so like figuring out a few different fills yeah. That all work to go into that chorus. Right. Um, 
And like I was thinking the other day about about Ringo on Ticket to Ride, mm-hmm. and like in the middle of the in the middle of the chorus, he has a one beat fill, right? Yeah. Like every time it comes around, she's got a ticket to ride. She's got a ticket to ride. Ringo, she's got it, right. Right. And he does it like he does it the same way twice, but he thinks up two or three other things exactly to just put in that little space. Yeah. And I I took the same approach with with those big band setups, like mm-hmm. because most charts. Like the same thing happens more than once, right. or a similar thing. Yep. So I would play like little games with myself or with the band or with the audience. Like mm-hmm. it's it's going to be similar. It's going to feel the same, but I'm going to get you there a little bit different way. Right. Each time. Yeah. It's it's kind of like um, a lot of the shout choruses in the tunes are yeah. repeat. Totally. So you do them twice. Right. Um, and sometimes there's like a dynamic change. Sometimes there's not. But what you can do from the drums is make it kind of like what you were just saying, like make it sound different yeah. by not really playing it the same way. I mean, the, the the real thing you need to do is just make sure the setup is clean and then the actual execution of the hit. Right. So the stuff around it, um, you're kind of at liberty to do a little bit more with what you want. Um, like like April and Paris at the end. Sure. Uh, let's try it one more once. And then you go back into the fill right. and you, you play that whole last section again. And you, you know, that could go on for as many times as you guys, as you guys want to do it. Right, right. You know, we typically only do it uh, like two or three times. But, but every time, you, you know, you can play it the same way, and it would work. Or you could play it, you know, you could interpret it a little different each time and kind of give it a little bit of a, a little bit more of a boost. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, musically, anyways. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think of, when I think of the bassy drummers, the the ones that jump out are are Harold Jones mm-hmm. because I met Harold Jones and I oh, wow. got to do a clinic with him when I was in college. There you go. But but also Butch Miles. Man, um, um, actually met Butch. Uh, we were in Texas in February and he came out to a show. Is he still around? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Man, he, that's crazy. Yeah, he's doing great. He's teaching at a school down there. The name escapes me right now. Huh. But, um, yeah, he came actually to two consecutive nights, and I had him sit in both nights. I'm oh, like, that's please, so cool. you have to come up here and like play something so I can just watch. Yeah, you know. And the and the second night, the club was so packed, um, I could literally only stand up from the chair and stand behind him. <laughs> it was just in this corner, so I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna stand here. And I, and I literally stood over his shoulder and I watched the whole thing. I'm just like, man, this wow. is crazy. That's amazing. And, he, and then we talked for forever afterwards. So he's. What did you take away guy. from that? Oh, just. Um, Again, just being able to, my thing is just variety mm-hmm. and and um, like touch and taste. You know, that's yeah. that's like the things that I really listen for whenever I'm listening to a drummer for the first time. Yeah. Um, and he was like his like the, I just could feel his like energy and his spirit while he was playing. You know, just kind of the the graciousness or uh, the uh, how can I put it. He just felt like he was like happy to be doing that. I know exactly just, what like, you mean. I'm just excited to be playing music. And I've like, seen, I've, I've saw, I saw him once, I think, with the Basie Band, and, mm-hmm. and I remember that about him. I don't yeah. think I got to meet him, but just watching him play, I was like, this dude is having the time right. of his it, life. There's like a joy to it, and yeah, it, and it comes yeah. out in the playing. You totally. Know? We, I mean, a lot of times, um, I get like this too. A certain gig, I'm like, oh man, I, I can't, I can't screw this up. Mm-hmm. I really need to nail this. I need to like really focus and then you end up just like sucking the fun right out of it because totally. you're just like one, two, three you're counting so hard yeah. you're like really trying to make and everything you know you might nail it but you would have had a little bit you would have had a lot better time if you just relaxed right you know and just right. and just you know you've been practicing for it basically your whole life yeah you know so you have you have the talent and the ability or you, you wouldn't be on the gig right so 
it's just one of those things that you just want to kind of convey. You know, you, you definitely need the focus, the detail, but there's also another side of it, too, where you kind of breathe life into the music a little bit. Yeah. And that's not only a better experience for you, but that's a better experience for the people you're playing exactly. with and the people who are watching you. Mm-hmm. It um, makes a difference. Man. It totally makes a difference. And it's something I got to remind myself about because my default is just to like be kind of stoic yeah. behind the drums and sure. kind of focus on what I'm doing and like, you know, right. be a, not not super intense, but just mm-hmm. not not real demonstrative or whatever yeah. but i've had to learn like especially at disneyland jesus oh. christ that was a whole other that was a whole right. other thing but um just like behind the kit on a daily basis now i mm-hmm. almost every gig i have to kind of remind myself like oh look up look around smile right. have fun yeah <laughs> uh, some some guitarist in la uh i forgot who it was he said if if you're having fun inform your face <laughs> that's a good point yeah because people are sitting there watching you and you if you're frowning the whole time yeah you know that's like they might be enjoying the music but you've got this like really bad scowl on your face right and it right. looks looks rough <laughs> so who's who's in the audience at a bassy show oh man uh depends on where in the world uh-huh. um because honestly you know here in the states there's definitely like a i mean they're, they're mixed crowds wherever but generally in the states is uh kind of a little bit of older crowd yeah i'm sure yeah um but overseas and things like like japan and in europe the people like my age which is you know 20 28 right um 20 so like late 20s early 30s or even younger than that in japan there are a ton of students that come out all the time and they you know they come with so many questions and they want you to sign their like wind machine copy in high school <laughs> things like that you know yeah um so I mean, it just varies. Um, I it all the all of the audiences are great though. You mm-hmm. know, each the pros and cons to both. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but the coolest thing is when you when you play for like some of the older, Basie fans, they'll they'll come talk to you afterwards and like, oh yeah, I I had lunch one time with with Basie, blah blah blah, doing this and that. And I'm just like, oh man, that's cool. People, and you know, some of the stuff is like, is this actually true? Did you really do this thing? <laughs> Right. But but, <laughs> but for the most part, like people have like really old photos with old members of the band, or or um, they we have have certain people that like follow the band wherever we're going, you know, mm. like they'll fly overseas with us and wow, just hang out and come to the shows and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's great. It's a really you know great community kind of thing. Kind yeah, of vibe. yeah. What's what's the average age of the band? Oof. Uh, I mean, I know it like runs the the gamut, but yeah, like, are, is, is everybody does. older than you or they? Well, when I joined, yes, yeah. but now there are, we've got two or three guys that are younger than me, uh-huh. so it's cool not being the absolute youngest. Anymore. Right, right, right. Um, but when I joined, I was was twenty five, uh-huh. I guess. Yeah, and then. But the next, the next closest person I think was maybe forty-two or something. Yeah. So wow. um, maybe I'm I'm not really sure. I don't know. But a little bit older than me, I and mean, they're definitely like you know at least ten years before uh-huh. the next person. So um, it's definitely up there. But you've got people that have been in the band for thirty, thirty-three years and stuff like that. Well, I was going to ask like how how many members of the band were in it with Basie. So there. So right now there are two. Okay. Our vocalist Carmen Bradford, who was the, the last one that Basie actually like handpicked for the group, yeah, um, and then trombonist uh, Clarence Banks, who was who's been in the band right. for like thirty, I guess at this point thirty four ish years, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting though because he his chair is right like literally next to me, so um, my first few weeks, 
I'm like, man, this guy has been doing this longer than I've been alive. Right. So anything that and I'm he's, back he's here, sat next to every drummer every, yeah, ever in this right, band. Right. <laughs> so anything I'm anything that I'm back here like screwing up or yeah, yeah. or it's not sounding great. I mean, you know, he's gonna hear it, uh-huh. whether or not he says anything. Right. I, who knows? But he's gonna hear it. And so you know, every once in a while he'll he'll talk to me about some stuff like, hey, you know, when so and so did this, they they would think about it this way. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, you know what? That actually makes sense. Yeah. So from that perspective, I mean, it's always, it's always constructive. It's never like, oh man, you just suck. You right. Know, you go home, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Right. So, you, I mean, I've learned like a lot in the past three years about not only just big band playing, but a lot of just general, uh, just like, like comping behind solos. is yeah. like a big thing. Uh-huh. Um, and there's, everyone has that, their own way that they want you to do it too. So you just kind of have to learn, a bunch of different ways how to like comp and make make people feel good when they're soloing right for each solo right and then you just kind of you kind of you know you you know how people are you know their tendencies and you know kind of what they like but also if you've got you know a bunch of different concepts for that you just pick the one for that moment right. as opposed to <clears throat> i'm only going to comp this way because this is what i do and you know everybody else can just jump on board yeah that's not really the spirit of the music because it's not that's not collaborative that's that's you saying this is where I am. If you want to play with me, you can come meet me here. But, you know, or right. we can all work to get together towards to get to the middle. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. And that's just more fun for everyone. You know? Yeah. Playing behind solos in a big band is like, it, it's another crazy thing about big band is is one minute, like, you're you're basically in a rock band. Like, you're, <laughs> beat, you're beating the shit out of everything. You're playing big backbeats, big crashes, big fills. And then the next minute, you're in a piano trio. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and you've got to just kind of go into that mode and somehow like bridge the gap between the two and not make it sound right. totally disjunct. Yeah. You know, um, when I was in college, I or maybe I was in a high school band, like a honor band or something. But uh, the director, like he could tell I was like checking out during the solos. Yeah. Because I wanted to play the setups. I wanted to play the shout section. Right. You know, I was into all that shit. And when, <laughs> when the sax solo came around, I just kind of like, I went on autopilot. Right. You know, and, and he was like, no, this is the time when you actually get to interact and, interact and do some cool shit. Like the right. rest of the time, you're babysitting, you know. Yeah. When, when it comes time for the solo, like screw your head on and right. open up your ears and, mm-hmm. and like do something some of the advice I got on that was kind of like when you when you break down to a soloist it's it's no longer a big band it's a quartet right you know right. and then they you know there's like horn hits and stuff that come in later but usually like the first chorus or two just just like sax player and rhythm section mm-hmm. you know or quintet I guess with, with guitar yeah um, yeah so generally if you just think about it, like if you come at it from that approach, uh, that'll kind of steer you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something that a lot of I've heard that from a lot of different people and uh, different perspectives on things. Yeah, yeah. So you're just trying to, you know, just trying to serve the music as much as possible. I guess. Right. How How have you navigated in that band, especially? Like, how have you navigated when to like really participate in the hits and set everything up versus when to just like play time, play the backbeats. Yeah, and because um, I saw Peter Erskine was here like a year and a half ago at Emory. Yeah, were you at that clinic? I was. Okay, did you, you go? Yeah, yeah. You remember when he played like the two examples of that thing from the Seth MacFarlane record? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like he he played a take of him like doing all the setups, all the hits, all the shit in the in the shout section. Right. And then he 
played like a drumless track yep. and and played along with it and just played time. And he was like, this is what went on the record. Right. Um, it, it, I don't really know if I even have like a an actual answer for that, just <laughs> only because it, it varies. And, um, well, first of all, I'll go back. Sometimes they'll just tell me, like, actually, there's there's one chart in particular in a mellow tone. Yeah. If you look at the actual, like, sheet music for it, Every single hit from everything is on there. Oh, so, so when you look at it, you're like, okay. And then you actually try to play a lot of it, and it just doesn't sound right. Right. It's, it's just it's too much. It never you know? settles. Right. Yeah. Because like, where's home base if you're always filling and setting things up? There's no you don't ever actually lock into the time. And right. Kind of drive. Yeah. So, um, like that was one in particular. Like the first time we read that, I I just read all the hits. And I was just like. <laughs> All right, this is cool. I'm doing this. And then, <laughs> I'm hitting them all, baby. Yeah, and then afterwards, it's just like, no. Right. Listen to the recording. I'm like, okay, cool. And I check it out, and there's like one or two spots where the, the drums are really loud. Everything else is just nice and like easy cooking underneath everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's way more effective that way. It's mind-blowing how many of those recordings are just that. Right. Like, you look at this chart, and you're like, holy shit, look at all these setups, look at all these hits. Mm-hmm. But you listen to the recording, and it's yeah. not just with the bassy band. I think it's with a lot of jazz. Oh, yeah. A lot of jazz drumming in general Definitely. is way simpler than we think it is. Yeah, it could be, yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, one of the things is, when you look at that music, you got to be careful about things that are cues versus things that are hits. Right. And, but there's no, like, there's no way to know that by just looking at it yeah. most of the time, because they... They're both written the same way on music. Yeah. So if you see something, your your first instinct is to play it. Mm-hmm. But uh, you got to kind of realize like what's going on in the texture of the music. It's like, does this sound like it should be a huge setup? Because the only person coming in with this are like the bass trombone and the bass sax. Right. Like that's the only people coming in with that. And it, so you don't need to set it up like you would if, if there's just like a huge like, you know, hit across the entire band. Yeah. You know, so there's you just got to kind of think about it but it's hard to do it in the moment yeah it's, it's this is like before or after you screw it up right <laughs> <laughs> you know hopefully in sound check when you got you know you got a couple hours to figure it out before the actual gig yeah i mean if you're reading something cold for the first time like you could you could read the shit out of it and right. still play it wrong exactly you know yeah it, and that's that's really frustrating it, it is it's one of the frustrating things about about big band drumming right. and big band charts because mm-hmm. every arranger does it different yep. every composer just has a different way of giving you information yeah some give you way too much and this, some give yeah. you none at all especially on drums yeah like my favorite is when I get a chart with uh, you know like 13,000 slashes <laughs> And there's sure. nothing, and just right. and, and they're just like, why aren't you setting this up? Right, I'm like, seven you... bars per line. Exactly. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, I can't, you know, I can't just like predict what's coming up next and just set up imaginary figures and right. things like that. You know, if, if there's if it's like a like a head tune or something where it's a blues and there's, there's stuff kind of being added every single chorus, it's a little easier then. But as far as like an actual um, kind of like through composed piece Mm -hmm. it's impossible to know when those hits are coming if you've never heard it and and the music doesn't say anything about it right and then also the other way where they write out every single fill and like kind of annoyingly exactly what they want you know and it's like yeah or you could just you know let me play the drums you could trust me to play my instrument right Right. just tell me you know what you want set up you don't need to tell me like exactly how to do it to get there 
Yeah. Um, so some, I mean, you know, but most of the charts in that book are, well, not most, but some of them are even like lead trumpet parts. Mm, yeah. Because, um, you know, that's like your, you know, there's like a, always a connection between the lead players the and the drums. Mm-hmm. But, but really, the lead trumpet and the drummer are setting, setting the bar for phrasing a lot of the times. Yeah, yeah. So it makes sense to read off of like lead trumpet part, uh-huh. right? But... Um, it's funny though because there will be times where there's like a, a break in the drums, which obviously won't be notated on the the trumpet chart. Right. Um, so you end up with like trumpet charts with like little reminders about hint, hint, hinting at like things you need to do on drums, like right. drop out here or play your fill here, things like that. Don't set this line up because this is like a background figure for the trumpets. It's not <laughs> really like a big thing. Yeah. Jesus. So, but 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 then this goes back to our previous point about this is why it's better to just be off the page. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, obviously I'm talking about if you're in the moment and you're having to read something for the first time, you, there's not a whole lot you can do right. uh, without having heard it prior. Yeah. But um, everything else, if you can just be off the page, you don't have to worry about, oh, man, I have the wrong, I have trumpet two this time. Is that going to make a big difference? Like, you know, you just think about little things like that versus if you're just off the page, you're just like, all right, let's play this yeah, tune. I know, I know this tune. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it just, it just makes the band uh, feel a lot better, too. So you and Brandon grew up in Augusta. Mm-hmm. What's going on in Augusta? <laughs> like, uh, I've, I've, since I've moved here, I've obviously learned a lot about, you know, Atlanta and the scene and the history. Right. I've learned some about Macon and Savannah um, and those legacies. But what, yeah. what, what, tell me about Augusta. Augusta's cool, man. You know, there's not a huge music scene there. Right. Um, which is why many of us don't really stick around. Right. After. Um, but... To to the people you know down there's credit uh, specifically like Karen Gordon who's mm-hmm. uh, Wycliffe's sister. Oh, cool. Um, which Wycliffe is from Augusta. I don't know if you. Know I that. did not know that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. He came to my high school a few times when I was when I was coming up. Um, but yeah, so she's she's really been spearheading you know a big movement to try to get jazz and like other types of live music you know back into the scene. Yeah. So it's a lot better than it's a lot better now than when it was when I was in high school. Um, but you, you you went to an arts high school? Yeah, it's Davidson Fine Arts. Okay. So basically, you just audition and um, you know you you basically do either like um, music, art, dance, or uh, well, that's music, art, dance, drama, yeah. or things like. I mean, basically all the arts. Right. And um, I mean, you still do like science and stuff, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like the same like basic high school stuff as yeah, everyone else. Yeah. But but it was cool because you could kind of you know really pick a pick a pick a lane and kind of stay in that track until you graduate right so i mean i didn't really start until like seventh grade but uh-huh. after that well this is it's like a middle school and high school so you can stay there like the whole time right right so I, in middle school i started there and um did like beginning band and then took it all the way through uh through college you know so at what at what point uh did you realize or decide like music is it drums is it yeah. this is what i want to do I'm getting the fuck out of Augusta. <laughs> <laughs> probably, um, I would say, probably like junior year or something like that. Really? There was a, uh, so, actually, there's a couple guys here, Brandon and Patrick. Uh, I don't know if you know Chris Odds, too. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, we were all in this kind of like a area-wide high school uh, jazz ensemble. Mm-hmm. Different people from, like, schools all around the area. And that was really cool because it's, 
you know, playing at school is, is cool, but there's always people at school who don't take it. Like you were just saying uh, before, they don't take it as serious as you. And it's, right. And or you and, you know, most of the other people in the room yeah. at, a, at an art school. Yeah. So the band is only going to be as good as, you know, basically that person. So when you go to these other ensembles outside of school, these like people are actually making a choice to go do more musical things outside of school. So they're already more serious from the jump. Right. And um, it just it was just like eye opening to kind of be around that much uh, talent Mm -hmm. and, you know, a realize that you belong and you can like, you can hang with these people, but B also like, you know, there's gotta be more. These, everyone's still here in like 10th grade. Right. But you know, if I just keep at this path, I'll probably meet up with some more, you know, amazing musicians and do even greater things like that, you know? So when Um, you went to, when you went to college, mm -hmm. did like, did you have a plan did you have? Because I went to college, I went to grad school, and I look right. back on it, and I, I I realize how much of it I did not have a plan for. Yeah, I was just in school, learning stuff, playing stuff, mm-hmm. and I had some abstract idea of like how I was going to make a living right. later or what I was going to do. Yeah, but it was not um, it was not a plan. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I I guess I was you know kind of I mean I think we're all kind of similar in that respect. Like we all know. Or we all think we would what we would like to do. Yeah. Um, and touring is something that everyone kind of says that they would like to do, but mm-hmm. how you how you go about making that happen is where a lot of people fall off. And honestly, I like I mean my my situation just kind of came up in my lap, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from going to grad school and you know actually working when I was, while I was down there and working with Scotty and yeah. Um, because I, I did a lot of his small group things too, and I was also his assistant for mm-hmm. um, for his combo my first year. Uh, so I worked closely with him, and it was you know through that relationship that I got on the gig or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, as far as it was never like, all right, I'm gonna go get the chair in that band, so let me start doing things to to do that. So I I, I would be lying if I said that was the case, right? Um, but when I heard it might be possible, that's when I, I kind of started like. All right, I need to actually get back in the shed and like learn this music again and yeah. uh, be ready just in case. You know, if he calls me, if not, cool. I still, you know, it's still good to just practice that stuff, anyways. Right. But um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm, where I was at with that. Uh, it's it's weird though because there's the school thing. It's it's very it's just very strange because you never really know what's going to happen when you're done. Right. You can only you know hope you set yourself up for to be ready for whatever happens. You know? Yeah, and I think I think I kind of pr- approached it from that perspective. I just need to be ready for many different things, so that somebody's not someone's not like, oh, can you do this? And I'm like, ah, that's the one thing I didn't really work on, so right. I can't really do that. And you, you say know? you say like, so you can be ready for whatever happens. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I I just realized like I, I thought back on my time in in grad school and and you know professors and mentors telling me like you got to be prepared for this, you got to be prepared for that. Yeah. Um, and I like my mentality was like so, something is going to happen. Something is going to get offered to me. Right. Uh, it, it's just going to like be bestowed upon me, <laughs> and either I'll be ready for it or I won't. Right. And what what college didn't teach me, or maybe what I didn't take it upon myself to kind of develop, is mm-hmm. the ability to make shit happen. Right. The ability to go out and um, and create something or go out and get a gig or like in your case you you say that like the Basie band thing kind of like came to you yeah but you know the 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 ways in which you had to be prepared for that weren't just playing right 
Exactly. Like you. Exactly. Like this. This kind of the Basie band kind of came up to the line to you. And it was up to you to like step up to the line sure. in the opposite direction. You couldn't yeah. just wait for like, well, I hope I'm ready. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not sure where I was going with that, but I just I, I like talking about college. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an uh, interesting like concept because we've talked to so many people who like me or like you got their master's degree, and we've talked to just as many people who didn't go to college at all. Right. Didn't start playing drums until like mm-hmm. after high school. Right. Um, and, and well, I'll, I'll be honest. Like some of my college, um, well, definitely my undergrad degree. I mean, uh, sorry, graduate degree. Most of that was I wanted to study with Leon Anderson. Yeah, who was yeah, down yeah. at FSU, and I was like, I need to. I really need to go check out whatever he's. I've not met him, but I've yeah, heard so much about man, him. Man, he's a great, great guy, great instructor, yeah. and you know, great dude too. So, um, but you know, he just turned. He has so many like great drummers coming out of FSU, and they all got like something that I felt like was missing out of my plan. Right. So that was my intention. And I actually told him that in the audition. I was like, man, I just, I really want to come study with you because I know like whatever you're doing is like mm-hmm. really hooking people up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I and just want to get some of it. You know? That's a great reason to go to college. And, and I don't, I don't feel like I had that, especially in my undergrad. Like I just mm. went to college. Yeah. Um, and I, I wasn't intentional about like selecting the person I wanted to study with or the yeah. place that I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, I'm, I'm cynical and jaded about college now because I'm still paying back loans. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the, the way, the way you put that, like if, if you find a teacher that you're like, sure, I need this person to kick my ass. Yeah. Whether it's at a state school or a conservatory or a community college, mm-hmm. like that is a great reason to go to college, yep. whether or not you graduate. Right. Um, and even and the rest of the faculty too. Yeah. So it's not. I mean, you know, primarily you're you're definitely going to be studying with the drum instructor right. for sure. But you know, working with the bass teacher like Rodney Jordan down there is great. Yeah. He's been touring for forever. Marcus Roberts is down there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would go over to his house on like Friday nights sometimes with the trio that I had. Mm-hmm. And man, we would be we would get worn out for sure for just like you know. Because we were still trying to figure it out, mm-hmm. and we—I st- I still am. Like I don't want this to sound like I'm—I've like arrived or anything. But well, you got—you um, got a pretty good gig. <laughs> you know what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> but it's all—it's just about trying to get better and yeah, go on to the next thing after that. Right. So, but back to the school thing, just making those connections with the faculty too. Mm-hmm. Um, is and and also just the other students as well. You know, like people that are your age trying to do the same thing, and you guys can kind of look out for each other collectively. Totally. But I know that's not the vibe at every school. Right. So a lot of schools, it's like, it's very competitive. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot of camaraderie because it's just like people are just trying to, you know, cut each other's throats. Yeah. Which I understand and I get it. Yeah. And <laughs> some people thrive in that environment. Right. Like, very true. You know, I, I do not. <laughs> right. I mean, that's that's kind of like more of a sports mentality. Like yeah. To, super competitive. Like, you know, no one's better than me. I'm going to beat everyone. But it's. In reality, I mean, you look on Instagram when you when like Eric Harlan posts a video. Look in the comments. Who's there? Chris, Dave, Kendrick, Scott, like all the people that yeah. you would consider to be on their same level, you know, or, you know, I mean, they're all like they're contemporaries. Get, right. Yeah. So there's I mean, there's room. And, and it's like looking at that. Why would I go hate on this dude who's in my like theory class? <laughs> 
Like who cares? Right. You know, like that's that's really that's a really stupid way to to go about school, right. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Because um, you're like wasting time feeding your own ego for for what? Because mm-hmm. when you leave school, no one's going to ask you. Oh man, did you play in the top combo at at such and such university? Right. Unless you went to like North Texas, where the only I mean people care about the one o'clock band, but yeah. that's like the only college band maybe right. in the uni- in like the U.S. where people specifically ask like, did you do this band? Yeah. So. It just doesn't make sense to me. It never made sense to to be that competitive. You mm-hmm. know? Now, not to say you don't want to. I mean, you don't want to. You still want to sound, you know, in your hand, right? You want to sound better than everyone else. Like that's that's fine. But there's a li- there's a line between that and like deliberately going out of your way to kind of like vibe people and yeah, be like be a dick. And better is, <laughs> for better no is such a relative term. Like you, you you mentioned like the Instagram comments. Exactly. Yeah. You know if if uh, uh, Chris Dave like posts a video and and his contemporaries like Kendrick or whoever you mentioned like sure. post a comment, that comment isn't about like oh man you're so much better than me. Right. It's it's just about. You sound fucking great. Yeah, that just was showing amazing. love. That's it. Yeah. You know, like yeah. there's a bunch of different approaches to like there's not one way to play drums. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you know? God. Right. Or else we, you know, most of us wouldn't be working. Yeah, yeah. So it's something I've had to wrestle with like in in my career and in my adult life just psychologically is is learning learning the difference between like envying someone's playing or kind of going after that style or like, mm-hmm. oh, I got to do that shit. Yeah. I got to incorporate that into my playing versus just uh, like appreciating it without getting caught in the spiral of like, oh, look at look at everything I'm not doing. Right. Look at everything I'm not playing. Yeah. Um, um, I find it's very hard to do that with people that are like like Harland and those guys, because on, on one hand, you're, you're like, you're still a fan. Yeah. You grew up watching these people and you're like, man, this is. This guy's been killing it since I've been in eighth grade, or right. even before when I when I found out about these people. But um, it's easier to like appreciate, like I guess, like locally, because mm-hmm. um, I know because it's 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 interesting because I know we're all kind of going through the same thing. We're all we're all good or really good, and we're trying to get to that next level to where we can be like great and kind of. Um, it's it's really not even about like being famous, but it's it's mostly just about being uh extremely proficient on your instrument yeah. to where you can to where you actually feel like you can handle any gig right and for me from a versatility standpoint that's like always been one of my goals i don't want to be like in one specific thing yeah um or or just known as just doing like oh he can only do that right cuz that's that's not true right and i know that but if you don't really like try to do other things or play other types of music uh, no one's gonna know. Like no one's coming to your practice room to check you out. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so and that's and that's that's like one of the things I tell like students all the time. I'm like, yeah, I mean you sound good, but you haven't you haven't even tried to go out and play with anyone yet. Yeah. If you're waiting on someone to come in here and tell you, Oh, you sound good, can you play Friday? Like it's not gonna happen. Right. And it'll never happen. Right. You have to go out to where the people are, yeah. you know, and, and collaborate and and even on, like that. even on Instagram, like I, I think social media has become a way for you to put yourself out there. Like even if mm-hmm. you're just doing videos in your bedroom, definitely. You know, there's there's a little bit of a chance that somebody on Instagram will see that and be like, "Hey, you sound good." Right. You know, um, 
especially with the uh, with the hashtags. Like definitely, because that those help you reach people that don't even follow you. Right. So if you type hashtag drums after a post, and it's you're gonna like a thousand people may see it that you right. don't even know. Right. And you know you're hoping obviously when you post some stuff like that, you're hoping someone cool sees it. But yeah, in reality, your your drum post is like one of what three thousand that day or something. Oh, way more probably. Yeah, I mean. And that's a way to get noticed. That's a way to get followed. That's not really a way to create relationships and get work. And so what I was going to say is, is what you said, like it, you have to go out and interact with people. You have to. Um, And and by doing that, I think that leads you to the appreciation thing. Cause you, you're kind of like around, um, like when I saw you at, uh, at the, the jam, the funk jam on Wednesday, right. Same thing. I mean, there was a lot of great drummers there that night, and no one was like on some competitive, like kind of crap. Right. It's like, yeah, we can go ahead and each get up there and do our thing, and then let the next guy get up, and it can all be cool. And we don't have to fight. We don't have to argue. Yeah. We don't have to talk about each other while the other one's playing. Like, oh man, he sucks. He, he can't even like. Keep oh, time. I talked about you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't blame you, bro. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's just like the competitive thing is. It's not really my my vibe on music, you know. And I, I found I found Atlanta like the 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 music scene here, and especially the drummers, um, to to be really not competitive. Yeah, and, and really cool. Mm-hmm. Like the only competition is in my head, right? You know, and that's where I battle with like you know the the envy or the inferiority sure. or the the whatever, right? Um, but out there in the world, like at the jam or at the gig. There's none of that. There's yeah. no vibing. Like, it's all support. It's all love. Right. And everybody sounds fucking great. Right. That's the other thing, too. You know, once, so once you, when you kind of move here into that kind of scene and culture, you realize, um, man, these guys are, you know, they're like way, some of the guys are like way better than me. Mm-hmm. But they don't, their personality doesn't lead you to believe that. It's, you know, it's never really, you don't, you can be really, really good and, and not be an asshole. Like, yeah. it's very possible, uh-huh. you know? Um, but some people haven't figured that out and that's cool and they will eventually. Right. But for me, it's cause our, okay. So really this goes back to like when I was in like ninth grade and yeah. we, our high school jazz band opened up for, uh, for a smooth jazz artist at, uh, and at the bell auditorium in Augusta, which uh-huh. is like a big, big theater type thing. Uh-huh. And, um, after, after the set, the drummer came off and I was like, Hey man, you sounded great. And he said, I know, and just walked off. And I was like, no matter how good I get, I will never be like that dude. Wow. So that's every day or every, anytime someone tells me anything, they're like, man, man, you sound really good. I'm like, thank you. I try to be very gracious because yeah. in that moment, I was like, man, that guy is really, He's. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's like, that really took me aback. Fuck that guy. Yeah, basically. So um, I just, I just like promised myself I would never, no matter how good I get and no matter where what gig I can get or like where what status I achieve or anything like that, I'll never be that dude. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I was just like so rude, and he and he really wasn't even that good. I was kind of just saying uh. that. That was like my lead into saying thanks for letting me use your drums today. You know, because yeah. I had of course I had to play his kit. Right. But um, and he was just like I know, and he just walked off, and yeah. I was like, okay, man, cool. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by DrumSellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at DrumSellers.com. 
is it an effort for you to stay connected here? I mean, how many days a year are you on the road? I would say, man, we're probably out about half the year. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's one of the things, like, when I when I get back, I try to make an effort, like, that week to go out to sessions and stuff, for, yeah. you know, just to kind of, like, hey, I'm back in town type right. of thing. Um, also, some advice I got was to not let people know when you leave uh, or when you're about uh, to leave. Uh, only only let them know when you're back. Right. Like, you just got back from Russia. Not like, I'm going to Russia for three weeks because then they just, okay, he's busy. They don't even call you for right. stuff anymore. Or if you just say, I just got back, it's like, oh, well, he's back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're just back. You know, he's back and available type of thing. Yeah. So That's another, like, double-edged sword of social media. Mm-hmm. Because Definitely. Because it's really cool to, like, you know, post a picture from Russia. And right. And be like, exactly. we're going to be here for three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> we're touring Russia, baby. Right. But then the other side of it is is what you said. People see that and they're like, oh, he's out. He's, he's out. Gone. And they just, they just assume you're always busy. Right. You know. Um, um, but... There's, it's just a, it's kind of a weird game to play with yeah, that. Yeah, it is a game. It, it, yeah, so. I mean the social media thing in general uh, for musicians is always yeah. is always interesting. Yeah, yeah. but but it's kind of like necessary. You have to because if someone says, "Oh yeah, we got this drummer named Zach from Atlanta playing on the on Sunday," what's the first thing that that person's gonna do? Like everyone in the band, they're gonna get on social media and yep. type in Zach. How better and try try to find like videos or Carrie Frank got the keyboard chair with Tedeschi Trucks when he had to sub for Kofi. Yeah, he got that chair because of his, his Instagram feed. They Dude. had forty eight hours wow. to like find a keyboardist and get into Florida. And Tim Lafave recommended Carrie Frank. Huh. And Derek and Susan looked at his Instagram. They were like, "Yeah, that's the guy. Get him out of here." <laughs> like there I didn't was even know, I didn't know that story. That's awesome. Yeah, he I, yeah. he was a buddy of mine from LA. I, I played okay. with him a bit. Um, and when they they played the Fox Theater like a year and a half or two years ago, and yeah. Gary got us backstage passes, and cool, it was, cool, it cool. was the coolest experience. Yeah. But his Instagram feed is like current. There's good stuff on there. There's quality stuff on there, and that served as his calling card, his audition tape, yeah. his his, his uh, trial period. Like, right. <laughs> and that's the other thing know? too. Some people um, kind of post like stuff on there that are you just. I just think people should think more about what they're posting. Yeah. Like, really look at the video before you post it. Like, is this good? Right. Is it good? Like, if you saw this and it wasn't you, what would you do? Would you like it or would you, like, keep scrolling? Would you Would you send it to people? Would, yep. you, would you talk about it? Like, yep. <laughs> you know? I'm always thinking about shit that I scroll past in, yeah. on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's, a, if it's somebody in their bedroom... I, I don't yeah. give a fuck. You're right. <laughs> if if it's yeah. if it's somebody with like sticks flying all over the place like nunchucks, I yeah scroll past it. Um, if it's somebody, if it's like a drum cam at a live show, mm-hmm. I want to watch that. Yeah, you know whether it's in a dive bar or an arena. Right. Like I want to. How do you sound? on the stage exactly I don't give yeah. a fuck about the studio I don't give a fuck about your practice room mm-hmm. like how do you sound playing with people right and that's that's kind of something that you can't I mean you you can chop that up you can chop up videos too but, yeah yeah but uh, when it's just you by yourself for 15 seconds or I mean Instagram you can do like minute videos now mm-hmm. but, um, like if you're just putting up a little clip you only have to sound good for like a minute right versus a gig you're out there for three hours yeah maybe you know right that, you know Hopefully shorter, but <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> hopefully shorter than that. But um, yeah, it, and it's you know like what do you, what's the actual goal of you posting it? Is it to I don't know 
just have a goal. Just yeah. have a plan. Like, I'm posting this for this reason. Yeah, yeah. If you just want to have things online of yourself playing, that's cool. But just make sure it's good. Right. Because if it's not, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. You know? And it's been a good exercise for me. Like, I'll, I'll just put my phone up on a lot of gigs and, yeah. and record the whole gig, you know, with, with the intention of, you know, grabbing a minute of something cool and, and putting it up there. Right. But on some gigs... It's it's been a learning experience where I'm like, hey, there's, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of good stuff here. Yeah. Like, and whether it was me or like the sound of the band sure. or, or whatever, but it's it's been a way for me to kind of like up my game during every gig. Like, yeah. How much of this am I going to have to choose from? Right. You know, am I going to have point. this one little moment, or mm-hmm. am I going to have like a bunch of different songs that right. all sounded kick ass? And know? I I like the uh, the live stream. I don't do it that much because mm-hmm. I just don't. But. Um, going live while you're playing is essentially you're simulating like being in a recording studio, right? Because you're you're live streaming exactly what you're doing, broadcasting it to the world. Yeah. And there's no there's no editing. It's if you drop that stick, all the people if you got people watching, they're gonna see it. Right. Um, so for me, it's a good it's a good practice when like right before I'm about to go into like a studio session or something, I'll I'll go live on Facebook and play like maybe the rehearsals or something and just mm-hmm. kind of because I feel like I need that like. That uh, it just makes you focus differently if you yeah. know people are watching or you're being recorded or people are listening. Right. As opposed to you just like playing in a practice room, you, you can you can screw up all day. No one's gonna hear it and it'll be cool. Mm-hmm. But if you do that while going live, it's like okay, I got an audience now. It makes you it just makes you like focus a little bit harder. I guess. Right. And and you better trust everybody that you're playing with. <laughs> Right, because yeah, <laughs> like too. if you go live and your singer sounds like trash, right? Exactly. So I, yeah, yeah, I I just don't even do it because and then some people they people are like weird about having themselves on other people's Instagram or li- like you know right like people without Instagram necessarily don't want their image broadcasted all over. Yeah, there, which I I'm like okay sure, right. but it, I don't think it's that big of a deal most times, yeah. you know. And most of the time, it's just a drum cam, anyways. It's just focused on me. You right. just hear them, right, right. So, uh, but that's it. But the live thing, I use that to kind of get in the headspace of getting ready to record and things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, do you know how long you're going to do this gig? Like, are you going to stay in Atlanta? Do you have what's your plan, I Robert? Do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm planning on being in Atlanta, being in Atlanta for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Um, as well as as well as the gig too. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's just it's going well, uh, and it's we're out. It's the dates are sporadic enough to where I can still maintain like teaching studio and things like that here in Atlanta and pursue other like little projects that I'm doing here, mm-hmm. like working on my own music and things like that. Yeah. So you got uh, a band with your brother, right? And yeah. and Patrick Arthur. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're we're gonna be releasing um, our project, which is you know, thankfully almost done. I think. Um, because Brandon, you know, Brandon got the Tedeschi gig. He's been out. Yeah. And then I've... That was, you know, I was so happy for him. Yeah, same, man. Out, he's man. he's loving amazing. it. Yeah. They're going to be here in August, so... Right. But I'm, I mean, I won't be here, but... Uh, are they doing the Fox again? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I should go see that again. Yeah, it's going to be... It should be cool, I yeah. bet, you know? Um, But, yeah, so so now that the three of us are kind of like... We, we will have more time to be um, around each other mm-hmm. and actually sit down and finish, like writing or finish uh, recording everything and things like that yeah. so that that should be coming out really soon that's like the next big thing that I really want to get accomplished and it's not really like straight ahead jazz it's like a more fusion uh, like yeah, power trio it's, type it's some, stuff some breakbeat kind of yeah I yeah, I saw you guys at, at the Earl that one night right. and I, it, I, I loved it I dug Thank the shit you, out man. of it but I wasn't sure what to call it 
Um, Which I think is cool. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. Because yeah. otherwise you get into the label thing and people hear like, oh, oh, they play jazz? Oh, I don't really want to go. Or they play, right. are they playing like reggae? Oh, that's not really my thing. Yeah. Instead of just coming and actually just listening to the music and making a decision based on the music instead of the labels. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, we're, like the society is so label based yeah it was really cool like some of it reminded me a little bit of like the Wayne Krantz type mm-hmm. thing some of it was a little Schofield Uber yeah, Jam kind definitely of, uh, all, all great influences yeah, for sure yeah um, and I think that's movie. like kind of one of the things that's interesting about bands if you listen to them and you can kind of hear where their influences come from or um, kind of the concepts that they're kind of digging from. Right. That's like a really interesting thing to me, uh, like probably the music nerd side, but yeah. just to go hear someone and be like, oh yeah, you probably check this out. You you like this record a lot, don't you? Because right. it sounds like, you know. And, and seeing you that night, I was like, it was really the first time I had sat down and watched you for a long period of time. And I was like, I knew you played with the Basie band and I was like, shit, he's got all this too. Like, right. And that's, and that's like, again, that's like one of the things that I always try to do is just, be really proficient at all types of different uh, different types of music. Yeah, because uh, I mean, just it, it's kind of necessary. Well, not kind of. It is necessary. And mm-hmm. this and that, that's like when I was at uh, Kennesaw State, I studied with Justin Shazari. Oh yeah, yeah. And he was he was really the first one to be like, okay, yeah, you can do like these one or two things like pretty well. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking that's cool because I'm like a sophomore in college. I'm like, okay, I got some stuff going on. He's yeah. like, yeah, but what about? All this other stuff. So that that so what you're telling me is I can't call you for these gigs because you can't really do this type of stuff. Yeah, I'm like yeah, I never really thought about it like that. Uh-huh. Um, so you really have to just be well rounded. It's not even uh, a choice if you really want to work and you know be versatile as you as we all would like to be. Right. You have to put it into practice. Right. I, and Atlanta, I've said this before, but I feel like Atlanta and cities like it are are a great place to do that as opposed to like New York or L.A. or Nashville mm-hmm. because it's um, it's not saturated to the point where you have to go after one thing and just be the best at it. Like right. when I was in LA, I felt like if like anything I wanted to do, whether it was a jazz thing or like a corporate wedding band or um, you know a, a rock band yeah. or a, whatever I wanted to do, I had to get in line behind five guys who only did that thing. Right. Um, yeah, and in Atlanta, and it's hard to compete with that. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, and in a town like Atlanta or Kansas City, where I lived for seven years, like you can really float, right? Um, and get into I, a bunch. I of I just prefer shit. that, man. Yeah, me too. Like Tuesday is one of my favorite nights because of uh, like there's a Vinkman's jam, like the straight ahead jazz jam from right. like eight to eleven or whatever. Yeah, and then right after that at Elliott Street they have that jam, which is not straight ahead at all. Yeah, uh, it's like completely the opposite actually. Um, so yeah. I so I like going to both. Just like go do the straight ahead thing for a while, and then right. go over here and play some like really out funk stuff or it's, whatever. It's, you know? Yeah, it's just out. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. yeah it's it's like, not out blank. It's right. Just it's out. just out. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's important though. Yeah. And yeah, you know, yeah. and you meet up with a lot of cool people, and you get to play some new things, and right, find know. out where the boundaries are. Right. I mean, it's it's all music at the end of the day, and yeah. it's, nobody's gonna get hurt because you're playing eighth notes straight as right. opposed to swung. You know? Right. Right. So, how are you feeling about about Atlanta's scene and its growth as a city and like you know whatever whatever comes next for you after the Basie band whenever that is? Yeah. Um, Atlanta seems like a place where you can kind of cultivate another big gig. Like just in the time that I've been here, I've seen you know a few guys get some big right. gigs. Yeah. Um, just coming out of the Atlanta scene. So mm-hmm. 
uh, how, are, how are you feeling about like the next five years here? Uh, I mean, I think the scene is, is growing. We're, it's, it's in a kind of an interesting spot right now, specifically because there's like a ton of jam sessions. Yeah. Um, like specifically like straight ahead. And, th- and it's not a bad thing. Uh-huh. And that's, that's not even like the reason why I'm bringing that up. It's more just uh, at some point, it's got to shift a little bit to more like actual gigs instead of just jams all the time. Yeah. You know, and it seems like it's either jam sessions or cover gigs. Right. And that's, and it's kind of been, it's kind of been that way for a little bit. I I mean, it's definitely getting better Uh uh, because most of the places that are doing the jam, it's like once a night. I mean, not once a night, once a week. And the other nights are actually having actual bands and things come in to actually play. Right. So, and that was unfair to Atlanta. What I said there are no, no, of, no, a ton yeah. of original artists here, singer songwriters, whatever, right. doing original stuff. Sure. But as far as like what's going on week in, week out, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm playing mostly cover gigs. Like I play in Rubyville and the Sulfonics. That's, yeah, right. that's an original band. But mm-hmm. a lot of the rest of it is like a wedding band or a tribute thing or yeah. you know. I mean, there's there's definitely like a big like the wedding thing is huge. Oh yeah, here in Atlanta, which is yeah. which is great because yeah. it it provides work for a lot of people. And you know, the gigs are actually from from the ones that I've done. They've been really fun. Yeah. Now, I mean, you know, you can't you can't just blanket statement that and say everything's fun. You, you, you do emerald gigs. Or, yeah. yeah I've done Empire. I've done a couple. Yeah. Not not very many. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a yeah. bunch, and they are they are fun. Like right. some are better than others. But of course, it, it's depending never, on who you're with and right. all that kind of stuff. You're never right. hating life. Right. Like, everybody, <laughs> everybody's cool. Everybody can play. Exactly. You know, you're not playing three hours straight. You do yeah. the set break thing. Jeez. Like it, Right. So, I mean, I I feel like it's all going to turn pretty soon towards more, um, for things to become more creative, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or or to return to the point where it's more creative. Yeah. Um, Curry Simmons thinks the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I, I've talked with him about this, and right. he's like, I feel a turn coming. It, yeah. Like, I mean, it, it kind of has to, because there's no other, I mean, there's nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty much as far as it's going to go right now on the... The jam side, and, yeah. I mean, because there's like a jam every night, right? Somewhere, you know, which is right. which is great, yeah. And if you go to some other like bigger cities, there are many jams. I mean, even in Atlanta, there are multiple jams each night. Mm-hmm. But um, some we don't really need all of them, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like at some point, I mean, at some point, it's going to have to go back to people just doing shows mm-hmm. or or more, shifting more towards that direction mm-hmm. because. And there, there's literally no room for any more jam sessions. Right. Like, anymore, and you're just cutting audiences from other places. Yeah. You know, so especially inside the perimeter and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're saying that, like, on a on a Tuesday night, it it, it needs to shift back to, like, a, a band having uh, steady every week. And I, I think that would be Building better. an audience and... Right. Like, rather than just having to come one, come all right. jam. And I think... I, because a lot of times, uh, when you're talking about jams like people are um well let me go back i think that it helps it actually helps the business to have like a like a house like an actual band that's there every single week because then you kind of build up um like clientele that way right versus like a jam it's like if the people come and they hear something that they like and they come back the next week none of those people might not be there Mm -hmm. right as opposed to we're going to see this band. This band's cool. Yeah. I'm going to follow this band, and whenever they're here, I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, like you know, and typically, like jams are pretty much just free for right a lot of people. Right. Most 
almost all musicians and um some places have covers for for um for like regular patrons and things like that right so but as opposed to like a show where everyone's paying cover to get in and it's you know but but that's another thing too like you don't want to go back to that and then make literally any type of live music like you have to pay for it Mm -hmm. because that's not going to work and even though i'm not saying that people aren't worth that yeah i'm just saying that realistically um that'll drive away people before they even get there yeah you know just the fact that you have to pay like 20 bucks before you do anything else right you know before you get a drink or before you get food or before yeah, you do it's, anything yeah it's I, it's fucking insane and i don't know how right. people in new york do it like to walk out oh, of your yeah. door you got to pay 20 bucks right um but i mean if if there's like a $5 cover you know mm-hmm. $5 cover isn't going to scare me off right. or or anyone else that's true um and like when it when it comes to jams <sighs> If you're like if you're the owner of a club and you have a jam on a Tuesday night, your audience is uh, going to be limited from the jump to sure. to musicians. Because like it, it so, could be, it doesn't have to be. I mean, it, it has to be a really cool hell of a jam sure. for civilians yeah, yeah, yeah. to show up on any kind of regular basis. Right. I agree. Otherwise, it's just you know musicians and college students yeah. buying PBR. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> whereas if what you're saying, like if a band has a home. If a band has exactly. a steady and develops a following, then you open up your audience to you know the rest of the world, right? <laughs> Similar to like musicians, like uh, like Joe's thing at Vinkman. Yeah, dude, he's, he's been doing that for years. He right? is the Pied Piper of baby boomers, man. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I went to that jam, it was the first one at Vinkman's when I first moved here, mm-hmm. and he had been doing it at Twain's for years and years. Right. But like, I had never been to a jazz jam where civilians outnumbered musicians. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. there were a ton of it's musicians lined up ready to play. The room was just fucking packed. Right. With Joe Gransden fans. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Who just love listening to jazz and love, you know. And love Joe and, like, everything that he brings to right. the table. So, right. Again, he's just had that time to kind of build up that, that base. And right. there are people, he, they can move that jam next week to... Uh, food line or something. I don't dude, know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like those people will still be there. They'll still come hang out and yeah. check it out because they know, like you know, Joe's going to be there with his with his regular guys and things like right. that. And so his, and his hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 But um, you know, I, I think the scene is is growing and it's it's going to return to a more creative thing. And it's not to say that it's not even happening right now. Yeah. It's just it's just that um. It will take on a more prominent role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've I've been really happy with just how much I've gotten to work since I've been here. Mm-hmm. And like we were saying, it's uh, you know, it's it's mostly not creative stuff. It's mostly just like working, you right? Know, making music happen for whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, just whether it's creative or you know, quote unquote, working. Sure. Uh, the opportunities to play here are just really great (laughs) there's been a lot of them yeah and Um, most times i feel like i have like a really creative outlet gig or something like that and it it just like recharges you uh, because you may be a little burnout from playing like yeah yeah (laughs) you know just that's a good and that's a good problem to have i agree if you're you're burnt out from doing a bunch of gigs and and you can't play brown-eyed girl one more time (laughs) then like atlanta also has like hey come out like hang, do a jam, right? Get your rocks off, yeah. You know. Do whatever you want to do, um, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's everybody's got to find their own balance with that, right? Um, so the scene, like, I feel like that's important when picking the scene to kind of live in, yeah. Just like you know what you need. I I know that I'm not. I need to have like 
some outlet to play like funk and things like that. Right. And like, you know, not just one tune on the set, like a whole night yeah. we're just playing like some pocket stuff. That's an, that's such an interesting point about like what a scene has to offer versus what you need. Mm-hmm. Cause I think so, especially young players like convince themselves like I, what, you know, what New York has to offer is what I want or right. what Nashville or LA has to offer is what I want. Mm-hmm. And I think the older you get, I mean, it's, it's happened to me. I have no interest in living in New York or Nashville or L.A. Sure. I lived in L.A. for five years. Right. Both musically and personally, like, a city like Atlanta is just my speed. Yep. Um, and so, it, you know, I would encourage younger players especially to just, like, think really hard about what you want. This is what I was asking about. Like, did you have a plan in college? Did you know right. what you wanted to do? Yeah. And not everybody does when they're that young. But if mm-hmm. you, like just dedicate some deliberate thinking to like what am i made of what a, what what makes me happy what right. do i want to do but it, it even takes a long time to get to that point too. totally because totally. most of the time like coming out of school you're just like all right i just need to do any gig that comes up right and you, and you should you should take everything because that you like you're like 24 you got all the energy in the world yeah. and you you know you don't really have a lot of contacts so that's a yeah. good way to do that so like take anything, take all the things. Yeah. And you know if, if it sucks and you don't like it or you don't like playing with these people, you don't have to do it again. But mm-hmm. you did at least like expose yourself to that group of people. Right. Um, but and don't don't I'm saying don't let yourself get led down a path. Yeah. Right. Of because that happened to me in college. I got led down a path of being a classical musician. Like I started oh. I started on drum set in high school and I was playing all kinds of shit and mm-hmm. then I was told like if you go to college you got to learn marimba you got to learn timpani you got to do all this shit sure and I got into it and I enjoyed it it wasn't like I was hating it the whole time mm-hmm. but like I just um, I, I feel like if I had given myself a little more time to like really think like do I really want to play in a symphony orchestra right. yeah is that really what i want to do do mm-hmm. i really enjoy that more than playing drum set right i could have saved a lot of years <laughs> yeah and not that those were wasted years sure but like i just went down this path for a long time that didn't end up being the one that i had taken right you know yeah yeah, um, yeah. is your um your undergraduate degrees in classical yeah I, I i did a bachelor's in classical percussion a master's in classical percussion and a master's in jazz and studio wow okay set. yeah i did classical for undergrad but yeah jazz for masters yeah, yeah. i should have done that i mean you know it's it was great i've enjoyed both yeah. um and even when i was at kennesaw i basically studied jazz drum set like the last uh two years because J- shazar didn't join the the faculty until my junior year or something right. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I interviewed him about a year ago. Oh yeah. What a badass. What <laughs> yeah. He's great. Man. Yeah, um, yeah. He's killing it. But, uh, anyway, we've, we've digressed into all kinds of things here. Mm-hmm. I think, <laughs> I think we better call it. <laughs> we, cool, could, man. we could go on. Right. Uh, man, it was, it was great talking to you. Thanks for, thanks for coming. I'm glad we finally did this. Thanks for having me. Safe travels out there. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Robert Boone. Look for him out there on the road with the one and only Count Basie Orchestra. Once again, if you want to help support Working Drummer Podcast, you can do so with as little as a dollar a month and get access to bonus content from our former guests. Lots of great lessons, tips, and tricks in there. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer. Get in touch with us at workingdrummer.net or on Facebook and Instagram. Share pics and videos of your gigs on Instagram using the hashtag workingdrummer, and we'll be featuring those in our stories. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or YouTube, and leave us a rating and review on those platforms. This helps new listeners find us. 
Matt Krause is back with you next week. Hope you'll catch that. Until then, thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.